Hey there, folks. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show. Okay, before we get started today, I wanted to tell you that this is another installment of Being Human is Difficult. This is an episode where me, James Quandall, and Jay, Jay Yao, two of my good buddies in the podcasting world, Jay is the producer of the James Altucher Show. James is the host of his own show, the James Quandall Show. He's also a small business owner and entrepreneur. And essentially what we do is we come on and we just kind of pose questions and we just ask about things that we see going on in the world and ask why, what's happening, what can we do to improve it, and really just try to make sense of being a human in 2023. The 21st century has thrown all kinds of curveballs at all of us. And the only reason why I'm doing this little disclaimer before I even get started is because I don't want for a moment for any of you to think that any of us are trying to push an agenda, we're trying to stir things up. There are plenty of shows for that. And we come on the Jason Wright Show platform where the, the mission, as you know, the motto is to improve always in all ways. And it's not just your health. It's not just your spiritual health. It's not just your mental health. It's sometimes your understanding. It's just improve your ability to be a better human. And that's really what uh, we're doing in this episode. Okay, that's where our heart is. So if you hear us ask questions, you know, one of the things I think I might have mentioned on this episode, but it's something I've started to tell people because people get angry if you just ask the question. And I want you all to know before you even listen to this episode, I know I'm building this way up. I think it's a pretty benign episode, but we do touch on some really, everything's touchy these days, right? I mean, it's just everything is so touchy. But understand this, there is not one question that we bring up in this episode as an accusation. We do not ask accusatory questions. We simply just step back, kind of take a look at what's going on in the world and with us humans, all of us, and try to figure out why is this happening? Where, what's the genesis of this bitterness that one group has against another, what has changed, and we just try to make sense of it. And so we hope you take it in that vein and know that none of us are trying to give all the answers. We're literally asking questions, trying to sort it all out for ourselves. So if you have any questions or if you get angry at us, that's okay. We can take it. We say it on the episode. Feel free to blast us. Say we're morons. We're stupid for even asking the questions. How could you not know that? That's cool. We can take it. We don't take it personally. Uh, just know you will not get a negative or angry response. You will only be responded to if it's if, even if it's something kind of nasty and we can sense kind of a, a harsh tone. If the question is truly sincere, if we can discern that, then we'll respond. You're, we're not going to respond in kind. That's just not the way we roll. So I just thought since we covered some kind of touchy topics on this episode, it would make sense to let you know this is not one of those podcasts where we're trying to stir people up and you know throw, throw bombs to get likes or views or anything like that. That's not what we're about. So with that ridiculously long um I don't know. It's not a trigger warning. Good grief. We don't do trigger warnings on the Jason Wright Show. That's not what we're about. This is a free speech promoting podcast. But I really, I would love for the far, far left, the far, far right, everybody in the middle, everybody to be able to come here and just hear us try to figure these things out. And 
you on the other side of the microphone, on the other side of this camera, if you're watching on YouTube, try to grapple with some of these questions yourself and please interact with us. DM me, go to Jason right now, go to the contact page, let us know what you think, ask your questions and give us some topics of discussion you would like for us to bring up on the next episode. Okay, I got to shut up. This, this intro has gone way too long. Enjoy this episode of the Jason Wright Show. Being human is difficult with my buddies, Jay Yao and James Quandall. Thank you for listening. I have not had ketone water and I just hit record. So James Quandall, please tell us about the fabulous beverage that you're holding in your hand known as ketone water. Yeah, well, I, need, I want to know what's ketone. I used to drink pop as a kid and now that I'm in the South, it's soda. Uh, I don't really drink that, but I still enjoy sparkling water throughout oh. the day just to kind of get that carbonation. <sighs> and what's cool is Ketonade, this is not sponsored by Ketonade. This is just me talking about it. Um, so Frank created this ketone water, which is a sparkling water with ketone esters in it. So for me, in the afternoon, if I'm going to be doing a podcast or having a meeting or something like that, and I just need a little extra focus, it works because it has the ketones mm. in there. And it tastes great. It burns smooth and helps when I don't get that afternoon nap to kind of keep my focus. Otherwise, my brain's like so, all pinging all over the place. Let me let me ask you this. I always get tired in the afternoon. I feel like I need naps. And then my for the past couple months actually my my left eyebrow twitch like a crazy person like would that help your left eye eyebrow. is twitching yeah because i think i just like i just like didn't get enough sleep or but i'm always tired in the afternoon i'm like oh i just want to take a nap but i don't want to take a nap i just want to work you know i think are you so just backing up a little are you drinking coffee in the morning caffeine caffeine coffee not as much uh but uh, like for the past two days, I've been drinking matcha latte, uh -huh. but with almond milk. Matcha latte. What's so, your sleep schedule like? Uh, usually go to bed around like eleven, and then we'll wake up around like seven. Mm, that's not bad. Or eight. Yeah, it depends. Do you wake up feeling like after you get up and out of bed and whatever? Do you feel tired still? Yeah, it's like, I'm like, I still have to lay on the bed. I'm like, okay, now I have to get up, you know. Because so. it's perfectly normal in the afternoon. I mean, mm -hmm. theoretically, really? by two, you've already, your day's work could be over, right? And so mm -hmm. it's not unusual to be have a dip in energy, but the dip in energy can come from a lot of things. One thing, caffeine's half-life is 12 hours, so half of your caffeine is gone. So now you're just starting, you kind of get that afternoon drop if you had a lot of caffeine in the morning. And a lot of caffeine's relative. Like, I don't drink caffeine anymore. So if I have one cup of regular coffee, like, I'm going to feel that. So it's different mm. for everybody. Okay, yeah, because I only have one one cup of matcha latte ice. Is but that, where does that from? Like, do you make Coffee that? shop, coffee shop. Matcha latte. Is that got a lot of sugar in it? I don't think so. It's pretty, it's not sweet. It's, it's not uh, sweet. Okay. pretty bitter. Like matcha, right? Like matcha, like, you know, mm -hmm. like, like the green matcha. tea, the green like stuff. Green yeah. Tea, yeah. Good for you. Yeah, That's yeah. so much like, for the that best. Good. I yeah. know. But like, I, I loved it. And then, but like one or two o'clock, I'm like, no, I want to sleep. No, I just want to nap. I just want to lie down, you know? Have so you like, tried that? Have you tried to take just like a 15 minute, just close your eyes and kind of chill out and then. Well, that's the thing. Like I, if I, if I took a nap, I would wake up with a headache. 
Hmm. Well, how long is the nap? Like 15, 20 minutes. You wake up with a headache. Interesting. Yeah, I felt like I felt. That's why I never liked taking that because I, every time I take a nap, I wake up. Either I felt dehydrated, or like I always felt dehydrated, or I felt like I'm I'm gonna have a headache soon. Even though I've been drinking water the whole time. All right, but I know your work. You have to sit a lot. Are you make? Are you getting enough movement during the day? Uh. So uh, yeah, I will walk. I mean, I don't know how much movement uh, I'm doing. Sometimes I will stand up. Sometimes I will walk around from room to room. That's good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I I do see a lot. But I, and then I will I will stand up, go to go to the 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 fridge and see what I have in the fridge, or and then I would just play with my dog for two seconds and then come back, yeah. sit down. A lot of times, headaches are for me are when my upper shoulders and neck are tight. So if right. they're tight. And if you kind of turn your head one way and turn it the other or massage like above your shoulders here and it feels really good or feels tight, that's a pretty good sign that your upper back is tight. And if your upper back's tight, you're going to you're going to get headaches. There's no way to avoid it. So you got to you got to either loosen up the neck, which is pretty easy to do. But like for me, I know it's because I sit in front of the screen too much. Like right. I'm sitting, typing, head forward, so my neck's getting really tight. Right. Yeah, that's why I positions my uh, my keyboard very low. I have like a standing desk, right? So like I purposefully make my keyboard really low, and then and then I prop up my monitor. Mm-hmm. So like oh, every time good. I type, I wouldn't be here like this typing. Yeah. I would like 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 this typing. Yeah. So is your shoulders tight? Like if you. Do they feel tight? Maybe. I don't really know how it's supposed to feel. <laughs> That's the thing. F- but does it, if you kind of squeeze it, does it feel like there's a relief? Like, does it feel nice? I don't know. It just feel painful. Huh. Okay. It's probably but, tight. But I do have like the, I do have the uh, massage, uh, sort of like a bag type of thing that you can put on there and then you can turn it on and then it just wrap around your wrist so you can pull it down and then really massage it. Sometimes I use those. Hmm. Yeah. But but yeah, like every afternoon I'm like, oh no, I just want to take a nap. But I can't take a nap because I know if I take a nap, one, I'm going to lose some time. And two, I'm like, okay, now I might or might not have a headache. Mm-hmm. I think the twitching is probably from looking at the computer screen. Would you say, James? Mm, yeah. I think I, that's probably just being in front I would, of the computer screen so long. There's some... Like the the screens have flicker, and even mm-hmm. if you don't see it, they're right. just refreshing and blinking. And we're not accustomed to that, right? We're accustomed to natural light outside. Yeah. Um, and but so, like a lot of times, I'm I haven't been very good at it lately. But I used to try to keep just uh, a pair of glasses. Um, and these are blue light blocking glasses. Yeah. They're mild, but one of the ex- it's not just the blue light. It's also just the humidity around your eyes. If you're staring at a screen, you're not blinking as much because you're concentrating on what you're looking at and what you're reading. So you're not blinking. And so your eyes are getting dry. But when you put glasses on, and even these are not prescription, it's it's the humidity around my eye is increasing. So it's moisturizing my eyes while I'm staring at the screen. Gotcha. But uh, now what I've been doing is I've been going to... The coffee. So in my community, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say what community on online, but in my community, <laughs> there's a coffee shop that I like in the community itself. So I always go there, and then I can look at. And then there's a river right beside it, and I always just look at the river. 
I will. Do you know, I had a guest on my show, Dr. Michael Lang. He's the founder of um, Fortify. It's an eye supplement brand. He, he's got a radio talk show. He's a really cool guy. But he taught me about the 20-20-20 rule. Okay. Um, basically, every 20 minutes, look 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And oh. isn't it, that like in in line with what uh, Andrew Huberman Andrew Huberman saying? talks about that for goal yeah. setting actually and to, yeah. to for, uh, widen your your visual the horizontal yeah yeah, yeah exactly vision. and his idea was if you're basically the way our lives are now looking at phones screens books you know maps whatever we're looking at it's all up close so our oh. eyes are constantly strained yep. and looking up close we don't ever relax the muscles in the eye. If you look away, it just takes 20. I mean, I'm looking out right now and it feels better immediately, which right. means I needed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's some of my favorite stuff that Huberman talks about is because, you know, he, he researches, you know, visualization, literally like your vision, your field of vision. And and whenever you listen to some of the stuff he talks about with how like he can apply it to actual like goal setting and understanding how bringing things that visually in your field of vision are far away and then being able to bring them in closer to your mind and kind of what does he call it the something bridge there's a visual gold bridge or something like that it's an exercise that i've started incorporating and it's pretty cool kind of a different topic but still i think it's pretty cool how the vision works with the brain and it all kind of ties together like that yeah i uh I think I, I, I mean once I uh, so like you know before that I was living in a luxurious apartment which is a scam by the way luxurious <laughs> apartment is a freaking scam always always a scam the construction uh, I'm gonna go on rent a little bit sorry guys but uh, the construction material is bad right I can hear what my next door neighbor is talking about even though I'm paying a fortune a month and there's party almost every other weekend so you can't really sleep and then you know and then you know sometimes we have four elevator but two of them constantly down and then people always use that one to reserve to move out so you essentially only have one apartment and you're paying a fortune so and then you know like luxurious apartment just doesn't have a soul i don't know if you walk into luxurious apartment just like a big square Mm-hmm. Like a very open space, you're like, okay, this is cool, but then you're like, ah, you you let let the, those you know those soul, those ar- architectural soul, architectural design into the into the into the apartment floor plan. Well, I I think the modern luxury anything home apartment mm-hmm. condo whatever, it seems like they all are open floor plan. There's no walls. There's mm-hmm. nowhere to put anything on the wall, and there's nowhere to actually separate anything like every activity takes place in the kitchen which is also your living room which is also your family room which is also your dining room and so like our life is completely open now and yet nobody's actually open anymore we're all like in secretive and not no one talks it's really strange like as the houses have gotten more open we've gotten more closed yeah it's also it's strange that uh you know you're totally right because like i had an 880 square feet it's huge right but i felt like I felt like everything is so open. I'm like, I can't really divide. Like, this is dining room, this is my workspace, and this is my living room, or this is my, you know, kitchen or whatever. And also, but I, and, and I think you're right. Like, anything that constructed 2010 and, and later, 
like luxurious building are just not as luxurious. I used to live in when I was in New York City. My building was built in the eighties. It's sort of luxurious, but not luxurious. But the quality is good. We can hear outside. You know, everything is concrete. That's like nice floor plan and nice divider. So like, you know, if if you go out and rent a place and it says luxurious building, I'm like, you know, just stay away from it. You know, what's funny is back and I won't I won't disclose where you are either, Jay. But when I used to spend a lot of time where you are, your building wasn't even there. There was hardly anything out there. It was a very small, quaint. Uh, area and by the way, James, did you know that Gus Vickery grew up where Jay now lives? I did know that. No and way. It's yeah. It's just a shocking how small the world is. Oh, even though we know how big like some of these cities like Dallas and Atlanta and um, New York are, it's like wait, you're like neighbors <laughs> with this person in this massive place. It's shocking. And of all the places that I have traveled and worked in my whole life, commuted to the fact that two different times in my life I have spent time there those were like my home away from home it's like what are the odds you know even when i was living in texas i sort of for well during the week i lived where jay is it's kind of crazy it's and my daughter's moving there which was so random and she didn't know that she she called me the other day and she said well have you ever heard of this i said are you kidding me when you were three years old that's where i was going to that's where i was leaving you to go all week every week and uh, that's she was when like, really? you would, on my podcast one of the mm -hmm. first episodes of the james Quandall show jason wright graced the microphone <laughs> and talked about the story when he worked in the corporate world and would leave and his daughter would cry and mm -hmm. be like, don't no, leave. Really? Oh. And then the sad thing is, this is what's so sad. And this is what we all have to realize. Eventually they stop crying. Mm -hmm. yep. And when that's when it's a wake up call. Yep. If you notice yep. that what you're doing is, you know, you're losing that time and that chance. Right. It's funny because like I used to cry too if my, my dad has to go away to work and then if I have to go to kindergarten, I used to cry too. But my mom, you know, my mom's like, you know, you ha you can't cry because it's annoying or whatever. So so my mom did something. It's like, if you don't cry one time, we're going to give you toys. So from the point <laughs> on, I stopped crying. So I do have a question. We are so off book. We Before we started recording for 15 minutes, the three of us talked about what we were going to talk about. And each of us contributed an idea and we're so foreign, but this is how we work. So we didn't really even need to spend that time doing that. But I am curious. All of us are men and all of us, I'm sure were told don't cry uh -huh. as a kid. If oh, you cried, you were yep. told don't cry. And yep. girls are told this too. It's a habit. If someone's crying, you pat them on the back and say, don't cry. It'll be okay. Why do we tell people not to cry? Why is it like so forbidden to cry? Well, I think for men, for men, I think uh, even in, in Asian culture, it's like crying, it's, you're not showing what's the, 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 the word of masculinity, like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're not strong if you cry, you know, like you're supposed to suppress your, your, your feel, your, your feeling. I think mainly is, you know, when someone asks you not to cry, if I ask someone not to cry, because I don't want their burden on me. If they are crying <laughs> and they keep crying, I felt like they are putting their burden on me to consult them. And I will feel bad if they, if I, and I will also will feel bad if I can't stop them from crying. I felt my job from, you know, preventing you from crying. Because for the longest time, crying, we thought crying is hurting. 
But now I, th- I think, I think crying is actually healing and griefing. You know. So Jay, you bring up a great point. Uh, have you guys seen the movie Boiler Room? Oh yeah, I love that movie. No. Okay. As a as a son and father, do you remember this scene? So there's this recurring uh, flashback that keeps going through. Uh, the main character's mind, and he has this horrible relationship with his father, who's a judge, very stern, very cold, very distant. But you can tell he loves Seth and he wants a relationship with him, but he always, this, the Seth always reflects back to this time where he fell off his bike and his leg was broken and his dad, and he's crying and his dad runs up and slaps him in the face to get to make him stop crying. And so this goes on in the whole movie. You're like, you what a what a jerk you know and then but then whenever there's kind of the 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 climax of the movie the father and son are talking i guess seth goes up and he picks up a picture in his dad's office of of uh of him on the bike he's talking about it and finally at the very end of the movie his dad says you know that day he said seth when i ran over and I saw you hurting and he said, you were crying. And I knew I felt so helpless. And he said, I was scared. I, you know, it was a dad that was essentially projecting his fear. His son was hurt and it manifested itself in him slapping Seth. And for Seth to have to grow up his whole life thinking, my God, my dad hates me so much and has so little love for me. And so and is so unable to love me as a father that even when I'm really hurt, he doesn't even show empathy, but really it was about how much he loved his father. And I know as a dad, the times that I have really unloaded on Rylan and Abby, and it hasn't been many, but I can tell you now as a father, it was because looking back on it, I was so scared. I was scared of their well-being, and, and fear causes us to just lash out. So I think Jess, I think you really nailed something there. I think for men, a lot of us in those circumstances, we don't want to cry and we don't like to see anyone around us cry because we think it's our job to make sure no one around us and that's in under our wing and within our protection ever cries because cry means they're hurt. Here's something though, that is interesting about this topic too. I was watching one of these podcasts. I don't think it was the whatever podcast. It was one of like, I don't remember what it was, but they were talking about this very topic. And these guys, they were basically saying, look, I don't care what anybody says. Your wife does not want to, she does not want a man that cries all the time. Just do not cry in front of your wife. And I think that's, uh, I think that's, I don't think um, a wife wants a weepy, weak husband, but I do think there's nothing that can be more powerful than when you show your true vulnerability and and your willingness to shed a tear in front of your wife. I, I if you do it all the time, you cry at the drop of a hat. I think it can be bad. Like one of the things, and I'll ask you guys this question. So one of the biggest proponent proponents of masculinity and who I agree with, I love, I think is awesome. I read any book he writes, but Jordan Peterson's freaking weepy. Jordan Peterson cries a lot. Yes. So what is your take on Jordan Peterson crying so easily? Do you have an opinion? I don't really have an opinion. I think he's just sensitive, 
yep. can be masculinity and sensitive yep. and compassionate, right? Like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, Jordan, it's like bad person, blah, blah. But like, he actually has a tons of compassions. Agreed. You know, like if you look at all the interview that he's, he, he did, most of the interview, like you're like, what happened to men? Yeah. Like, you know, why Why can men do this? Why can men do that? Like, you know, like if you look at all the jobs, why men's, men's has like the most burden compared to every, everyone else. So like he has compassions for men and then and then he cries because he feel bad for, for men, I think. What do you, do you have an opinion, James? I don't know about him crying specifically, but I think it's a good thing because mm -hmm. it shows a range of emotion beyond mm -hmm. just one thing. And mm -hmm. when you show that you have more than one emotion, it makes your other emotions more trustworthy. Mm. If the only thing someone ever sees is this consistent, unflappable, energetic, enthusiastic, you know, positive person all the time, it's not true. It's not possible. Like we all have really bad days sometimes. And if you don't ever show that one, it makes it really hard for you to be relatable. Like mm -hmm. who's going to come to you with their burdens if you're a person that shows no weakness at all? Like mm -hmm. they're not going to be, they're not going to want to come to you. So you're already closing off doors to possibly help the people that you love the most. Two, it's just not being authentic. Like yeah. basically what you're doing, and I've, I'm guilty of this too, is shoving down your emotion so deep, you don't even have to ever think about it or look at it. Well, that's being un inauthentic and that's really not helping you. You're really just like putting all these things as my friend John Deloney would say, it's like you're putting a backpack on and you're putting the bricks in your own backpack. Mm -hmm. And then you're like carrying those around town, all the things you never handled, like mm -hmm. all the things you never went through. And so I think, I don't know about the, the old Western movies, but I'm curious if the, the, the main heroes cried, like if they ever did like show that type of weakness. Um, because some of the men that I know they're not afraid to cry, um, but they're also not afraid to do something about what is angsting them. Um, I think you, you bring up, uh, doesn't Captain Call in Lonesome Dove, I think he cries for Gus. And that, I mean, there could not be a better portrait of masculinity, old school Western masculinity than Captain Call and Augustus McRae than Robert McMurtry created in Lonesome Dove. And I think that brings it to the point, too, is when you see the toughest of guys that, that are tough as nails that don't cry uh, gratuitously, that it's like, they do try to control their emotions, but in those moments when it, if you do see them cry, then it has a power to it. And so my opinion on, um, on Jordan Peterson is basically exactly what you said, Jay, is that I think when you have a guy like that, cause it, it does nearly get brought up every single time when some interviewer, they always start off the questioning. So basically your followers seem to carry swastikas for keychains. They're all men. They hate, they hate everybody that's not the same color as them and they despise women. That's who your followers are, right? Mr. Peterson or Dr. Peterson. What do you think about that? That's usually how they come at him. Yeah. And so he usually has to, and he usually says, no, that's absolutely not true. It's essentially men who are listless. They don't have a purpose in life. And he said, and then when they come up to me after I've given a lecture, and they say, thank you for helping me find purpose. And then that's when he gets choked up because he has this, this sympathy and this empathy for 
the modern male who essentially is, and I know we kind of brought this up in one of our topics to kind of cover on dating and what's going on and, and just the confusion that they're living in right now. Um, it, it, I think his is one of just deep, deep emotional sensitivity and, uh, and sympathy and empathy. And so I would, I, you know, I was growing up, I grew up, my dad, I was not allowed to cry. Frank Wright did not allow crying. Really? And I mean, I, oh no, I heard dried up. You stop that damn crying right now. Dry. I mean, he would have none of it. And, um, but you know, I've also watched him weep and it meant a lot. I mean, cause I knew how he felt about crying and to watch him when those moments when he would cry, I was like, it was a powerful moment. Wow. This might make my dad cry. God, that's huge. So I don't know. Hmm, interesting yeah because i don't know i mean i've seen my dad cry before but every time i cry yeah it's funny because uh this is this is very brutal this borderline a uh, kid abuser uh abusing kids uh so every time i cry so you know how asian or at least chinese we we pray to some sort of statue right like mm-hmm. god statue or whatever so every time we cry, my mom will have us kneel in front of the statue and just weep and then and then just just weep and then make sure and until we stop crying. Like, really? That, that doesn't care. Yeah, that doesn't care. Like, you know, they would just like if you do something wrong and then we, we you know, they whoop our ass, which I think it's totally normal. Uh and then, you know, if we cry then we have to kneel in front of the uh the the statue of the of the other god or whatever deities and then until we stop crying we have to mm. kneel like not sit we have to kneel down yeah it's borderline uh kids abusing right there <laughs> abusing abusing right there but uh we turn out fine you know yeah but uh, that's how they stop us crying yeah we turn out fine except for this weird eye twitch that I don't know where it came from. <laughs> I, I, yeah I just eye it. twitch and I'm ready to <laughs> I'm ready to fall asleep at three in the afternoon but I'm good I'm really yeah, good beyond that I'm totally fine yeah. yeah well hey Jay just know you're free to cry with us anytime buddy if oh, something, if something gets you. said today that really kind of gets you right there buddy you just let it go okay I think the only yeah the only time that I actually cried other than those is just watching Lion King the cartoon <laughs> version not the live version <laughs> So speaking of died, wait a minute, that's got to be a that's got to be a quote somewhere. That's an Instagrammable quote. The only speaking time I really qu- cried was during Lion King, the cartoon version, not the live version. Yeah. Jay Yao. Yes. Yeah. Nobody Lessons watched the live version. Nobody saw that one. Hey, Nobody you get a free. I think that every man gets a pass, Jay. That if they cried during the yeah. Lion King animated version, then they're good to go. Yes. They're but in the, the Lion King. To die, you know. I. Yesterday, awesome. um, I don't know what put me on this kick. Last evening, we don't have a TV in this house. And, you know, we were just kind of tired. It was raining. And we just felt like watching something. So I don't know where it came from. I started watching correspondence dinner videos. Oh, gosh. From oh, past boy. presidents. And this was hilarious. I don't remember this. I remember parts of this from the past. Um, but it was Obama with the birther, birth certificate stuff. And he's oh. like, hey, guys, like for the first time in 50 years, like I haven't even watched this. Like I found like my home video of my birth so we can finally put this all to rest. And on the screens, they play Lion King holding up Simba <laughs> on the edge oh, of the no. cliff. And like, you know, the whole, ah, yeah, and, it's like, and then he's like, Fox News, 
just so you know, that was a joke. That was not my real person. Video. That's awesome. That's was awesome. So good. I mean, like, I mean, you can say whatever about Obama. I think he probably is the coolest president. I do. Oh. I do, like, I. I mean, his policy or whatever aside, like he's probably one of the coolest mm-hmm. and uh, more more entertaining uh, uh, president out there. So I watched Biden's 2023 correspondence dinner. Um, a couple of Obamas, one of Bush, and then I watched um, Trump's while it was going on his rally in Pennsylvania, where mm-hmm. he was like making fun of the correspondence dinner. Yeah, um, but they're just hilarious. Yeah, and um, I just I don't know that the Lion King thing made me think of that. <laughs> so let's get into. So you want to talk about population? declines james quandall i mean this was your topic that you said that had been kind of yeah kind of so, tweaking your mind a little bit so yeah. what, you, what you got brother let me pull it up so this morning i'm gonna butcher the name um let me just how do i say this guy's name and while you're looking that up i was gonna tell you the the audience so we're titling or we title the last one being human is difficult right and that we, <laughs> so this is being human is difficult uh, part two. And so to, to be clear, we are not three political pundits by any means. We don't want to touch that, that at all. We're literally just three dudes asking questions. We want to try, cause there's some weird things going on. So if you're of the left of the right and you're really hardcore and you got strong opinions on these questions, understand we're not trying to change any opinions. We're literally just kind of looking for some answers of some things that are going on and asking, why do you think this is? And if our conclusions come to something you you just dramatically disagree with relax take a deep breath go have a good cry or something like that and understand that we're not trying to say one way or the other we're literally trying to just open our minds and go can, can you help me figure this out what's going on so just i now. think that's a great intro yeah. to the episode and i would add to that this is how i come up with my ideas, Mm -hmm. my conclusions, my feelings by discussing them with friends, reading things and coming up with opinions. Like I don't just take one sources of opinions and then make that like my operating system. Like I like to hash things out verbally and see if it sounds right. Does it make sense? How does it, what's the, does it smell okay? Like how does it work? And what's I think really important is like being willing to change that. Like if we talk about this, we think we know all the facts, then someone emails and says, hey, did you know about this study or this information? Or do you think about it from this way? I'm just as fast to change my opinion and go a different direction. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to have strong opinions, but hold them weak, like hold them loosely, like be willing to change them. Yeah. yeah. And also it's okay to ask questions, man. Don't be, don't, don't get offended if someone asks you questions about anything. Well, no, yeah, and that's the thing that you look stupid. You ask a question, you're stupid. Yeah, and that's <laughs> a, well, and if people get defensive at questions, then just as a, a matter of debate, when you start to, yeah. to get defensive when someone questions, then that means you you obviously don't have a very strong conviction about what it is that you believe because you're so scared. Because if you felt comfortable with it. You wouldn't care and you'd be glad to give them the answer. Oh, here's the reason why I believe the way I do. And I'm okay if you don't agree with me because I know what I know and I'm willing to learn otherwise. And so that's the thing that we've got a lot going on right now is like people are just really, they're afraid when you at, when you, and this is the thing I've had to mention to my daughter who my youngest, Abby, Abby tends to take questions as 
accusations. So that's something I would like to tell this audience. There will be no questions posed with the intent of accusation. You know, you know, so, so where were you last night, young man? You know, it's not that instead it's like, right. So where were you? I want to know. And I'm not punished. I just, I want to know. So do you think when I was in, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Jay. I'm just curious. Do you think they are hiding something if they, 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 they react that way? I think it's just lack of confidence in what they believe. I think they don't have a fully thought out conclusion. Hmm. Um, And so then if you don't have it completely thought out and you're not open to other ideas, then you, you don't want anyone potentially even making you open your eyes to something new. I do remember from in sales training, um, a lot of times if, if you're selling something and someone's asking questions or they're giving you objections, it's like, oh no, they don't want to buy. But we actually taught our employees, someone's asking you questions and giving you objections. It actually means they're interested. They just need their, a little more help from you to overcome those objections to get there. Um, mm. So questions can be good. Like we should be asking questions. That's how we can actually learn. And here's um, something I think a lot of people have these days. Uh, and I, I've been guilty of it, full blown guilty. And Twitter has brought this out more than anything else. So many people have library knowledge versus actual knowledge. And what I mean by that is these books on my shelf back behind me, there was a time when most of them, I had library knowledge, which means I knew the title of the book, I probably knew what was on the jacket. I knew about the book in the library and I had a general idea of what the book was about, but I didn't really know all the details that the book offered. I didn't hadn't gone deep to actually read the book, which now I have actual knowledge of the book to disagree with or agree with. What most people like on Twitter, they've got library knowledge of a topic. They know the headline and maybe the line below. So they've got this live, they know what the, they, they know what the article's about. They kind of understand whether it by who it was written by, because again, in the library, depending on who wrote the book, I know kind of whether I agree or disagree. And so, so many people are walking around with this library knowledge. They know the titles. They know they think they know what's in the book, but they don't have an in-depth knowledge of it. And if it was if it's in the library and it's written by someone that they despise and hate and know that they usually disagree with, then guess what? They're never going to touch that book. In fact, they, that book should be burned and get it out. I don't want to hear what it has to say. Lest, and, I sh- and I sure don't want to read it because I'm afraid, if they're honest, I'm afraid I might find something I agree with. And right. oh my gosh, isn't I think that's that happens. Ha- isn't that what happened to it in 1984? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and that was one of the, one, the books I was going to say. You know, you, if you ask some people, what about 1984? They'll go, oh, that's just that's just a stupid blah 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 you know they you know they orwell was this orwell was that and they have no clue what the book was actually about and uh it was a book about you know communism and we shouldn't read that well do you really understand or animal farm another one that was about a bunch of talking animals that i had to read in school it was dumb yeah no you need to go read it and understand what was really happening gotcha yeah because uh i felt like and also like, people that usually oppose the book are usually that they didn't read the book. Of course, of course. I mean, there's so many times and I try to read, like I think my very first book that I read that I, that I'd heard so much bad press on was um, uh, Rules for Radicals. 
I'd heard that there was this book that Obama had read, that Hillary Clinton had read, that and I, I'm drawing a blank on who wrote Rules for Radicals right now. Um, I'll think of it in a minute. But I was like, I was, I was like, but now I'm to the point in my life where I'm like, I want to go see what they're reading. I want to see what they have to say. And I want to know what people that I disagree with are reading and try to understand why, you know? And usually here's the thing, if you understand why, because most people are not, most people don't have evil intent from the get go. It just, that's not a natural instinct to go. I'm going to go learn how to destroy America for evil intents or whatever the case may be. So if you can understand kind of what they've read, how they've been educated and where their frame of thought uh, comes from, then you can better understand them as a human being. You can read it and go, okay, I, I can see how you would draw that conclusion about uh, America and, and that sort of thing. So. Do you know what I would love? I would love if someone could have a different opinion than you on an important subject, whatever that may be, and you could still like the person. You used to yeah, could. And just be like, okay, they, they think abortion should be illegal or they think it should be legal, but I still am okay with them. Like, you know, like, why can't you find the comp? Here's what I don't understand. What happened to like finding the common ground? Like, what are the things you agree with or like about them? Why has it got to be like this one splinter issue that makes it so you can't like be friends with them? I don't understand it. You know, um, I'm sure you guys, uh, Jason, do you know Carl Fassman? Oh, of course. I know, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love, uh, yeah. I love his episodes. Cal's, on his yeah. so Big questions with Cal Fussman. Yeah, so Cal uh, brought this, you know, Cal's all about networking and connecting people and storytelling. And he brought up this good, good point is back then we see each other all the time. We go to the office, we see each other. And then we, we go out of the neighborhood, we step outside, we see each other. And no matter what our ideology is, but because we interacted with each other, we are like, okay, Jason is a good person. He has the ideology, it's fine. But now we are so disconnected. We are living on the internet. We are living, you know, remote, we're working from home. We rarely go outside and talk to people. So without that, uh, that physical connections or mental connections, without knowing how, what the other people are like, they, it's very easy for you to assume that they are a jerk, they are the evil, they are the bad guy, and because you didn't, you didn't give them a chance because mm -hmm. without, you know, because we didn't have the the physical connections. I agree. That's I agree with that wholeheartedly. That's a huge loss of us working remote and not going to church, not going to schools, not going to parties and gatherings and all these other things. You know, we are losing the ability to talk with people we don't know and yep. people that come from different backgrounds from us with different opinions. Like you don't go to a party <laughs> and be like, all right, who in here believes in God? I want to talk only with you and everyone else I'm not going to talk to. But on Twitter, like that's perfectly normal. Like wh why is that? Like that should, that's not, shouldn't be like that. You know, and I know we were going to go to your topic, James, but I think this segues kind of into what Jay wanted to talk about that as I'm processing this, I'm like, like, why, why did it happen to where my person that I, I used to just disagree with politically, maybe we voted different ways, but we were still, we could hang out. And I got to thinking about like, you brought up the whole 
you know, gay pride and the, the month we're in the, the, and then for me, one of the, the, the things that I've just been confused on again, audience, this is about trying to just sort out some questions is this flag, the, the, the progress, uh, isn't it progress pride flag. Isn't that what it's called now? It used to be the gay pride flag. Now it's the progress flag, oh. uh, a pride flag. So to me, it's like, okay, the American flag, that encompasses all of us. Now, some of us have completely different feelings about the American flag, but it is one flag that that, that represents, it's kind of like the, the, the crest of the most dysfunctional family that's ever existed, that is the United States of America, right. which for all its faults has taken in more cultures than from all over the world, all different religions, threw them in a big pot and lived and created something really special better than arguably any nation ever before. So it's like, okay, there's at least we can all find something we like about America. Like even like you look at the American flag and you go, well, I don't like that a lot of bigots and racists and everything that they pledge allegiance to that flag. But also I like the fact that that flag stands for a nation that I can be gay for those people that are, that are gay and not get stoned to death not get thrown off a building. So therefore we have, so I do have something in common with that flag, even though there's, whereas the gay progress pride flag, it just seems to keep slicing and dicing and causing little divisions. Like, it's like we have to have this flag that instead of looking for the one that has, that represents more things that have, that we all, that more people have in common than any other flag, which I think is the United States of America, the, the American flag. Instead, we wanna take this minority group and create a flag and then further divide it, divide them among themselves. And, and I think when you do that, you're going, no, we have to have our own flag that says, I don't believe like you. It's, it's, it's not so much like just, here's the flag I support. You know, flags are important. I think imagery is important. And so that's one that I've just questioned as I understand why you would want to be proud of something kind of like it, but like, you know, your high school pennant or whatever, you know, your logo, your team's logo. But when you take that, imagine that, there we go. What if all of a sudden just a bunch of people in America just decided it was very important to support the University of Alabama? Or, or, or some university and we started and the president took it upon himself to hang a crimson tide flag on the white house and disregard all the other universities all the other football teams and say no no this is the one you know because of the way the, this team does and i just picked alabama out of the, out of the blue there are some people that are going to have absolutely nothing in common with the university yeah. of alabama they're just not. And, and, and we, we know that. We know that going in. It, we just Even if you just had university flag, just call it generic university. Every college graduate and college student in, the, in America has something in common with it because they went to college. But you're going to have a whole lot of people that didn't go to university that have nothing in common with that. And so, but you take the American flag and you can have the University of Alabama supporters the non-college non educated, the college educated, and all three of them can find something in common with that one flag. And so that's where, and I think for, and to Jay's point earlier, 
if you even question anything as to why pride exists, why are, why are we having a month of celebrating who someone chooses to love and spend their life with, if you even say, why are we doing that? Because then you are, you're a bigot. What do you mean? How could we not? And, yeah. and it's like, you know, I remember growing up, you know, I, there were like, especially in high school and then through the mid to late nineties, gay people, homosexual people were just, a, it was a part of life. It was a way, nobody cared that I, I didn't, you know, it's like, but then all of a sudden something happened. Now it's not enough that we just all kind of live and go, oh yeah, we're gay Americans or straight Americans and we all love America and pledge allegiance to the flag. Now it's like, nope, nope, nope. We need to be kind of like a nation state. It's almost like, I hate this. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the Vatican in Rome. They have a, they have a city state there. Now it's like, right. we're trying to create this whole city state within America that is the gay community that's not even about the gay community anymore because you got the transgenders in there that you know then this is me listening to what the 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 gay uh the gay community quote unquote there's really no community any more than there's the j people exactly that believe like me community um but they're like yeah we don't really have anything in common but they've all tagged on so if everybody just keeps tagging on then the only way you can do that is keep slicing and dicing so anyway yeah. that's just the sort of things that i think about these and kind of I go, how is this helping? Yeah, and also it's weird that like there's some sort of uh, hypocrisy in there too. Uh, I remember I saw this video. It's funny because this in this video, there's two gentlemen arguing at each other. That one gentleman, it's obviously an uh, uh, immigrant, right? Because you can tell mm -hmm. from accents. I think he was Hispanic. And then you have another gentleman. I think he's white. So the Hispanic gentleman is like, carrying the 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 u.s flag you know the american flag uh blah 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 and then and then i think and then the other gentleman is like oh you are not allowed to wave the flags here you know you 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 you, you should burn that flag but he said that you can't burn the pride flag oh it's no funny. like you can't burn the fire flag. that's hate speech flag, right? yeah. yeah yeah but you can burn you should burn american flag which is mm -hmm. weird and then this uh immigrant gentleman said like if you don't like the american flag then move out from america and then yeah. the guy just walk away yeah that's another thing that there there is such a double standard going on with a lot of things right now that only cause harm i, I mean i see things happening in reverse of what's happened in the 30s and 40s of certain individuals that are being presumed guilty unless they can prove themselves innocent and if they're uh and if enough people watch they're pretty much guilty no matter what which is exactly how it used to be in america in times past and it was wrong and horrible and disgusting and in fact, you know, to kill a mockingbird is an incredible example of the way that used to be. It's why Harper Lee's novel has it was it's so amazing because we sit there and we you, it's a great detail of like these conflicting cultures and how certain people were not afforded a um, fair trial and and innocent until proven guilty. Now it's working in reverse and. I just don't, and it's just, it's, it's not right either way. And it's like when, yeah, Jay, I mean, if, if I burn the American flag, you know, 
First Amendment rights, it's okay. And why? And by the way, I disp I hate the idea of the American flag burning. Yeah, right. But I hate more you not having the right to burn it because I'm a I love freedom and liberty and you making right. your point. I just but same with the gay progress. Like I w I don't want I don't to me I don't want to see somebody burning a flag like that that would cause just it just it's 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 an act of ugliness. It's when you burn it, it's ugly because it does it resembles something that some that a lot of people take you know that they have a lot of um, a connection to an emotional attachment. I don't think that's good either, but. You, you can't say that they're not free to do that and also and they would say, but you're free to burn the one that represents all of us because there are a lot of people that that pride flag doesn't re mean anything to them, right. but the American flag absolutely does. Right. Well, uh, so like, do you know why uh, most of the corporate trying to push like pride flag and, pride, pride flag and all this diversity? Mm-mm. Apparently, there's this thing called ESG scores. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yep. of course. So, so, like, they try to get most of the ESG score. But, but to be, but also at the same time, I think it's just starting this year, a lot of the corporate trying to push against it now. Like, they maybe they'll display the pride for one day and then, like, and then the next day, they just like, nah. Well, and here's what, um, Here's what I think, and this is one of the things too, James, I've thought about doing, because I think I could do a good job of arguing both sides. I think I could confuse people. Now, let, people have know me at all. You know, sorry to interrupt, but I think if you can't argue both sides, you really don't have a very good Agree. Opinion. Oh, yes. Could, I could, think I could can not argue, agree more. I can argue both sides of most issues better than the people that I'm arguing against. Could not agree more. <laughs> could not agree more. And like, so going back to gay pride, because what they'll say, Jay is like kind of what we talked about before we came on is, you know, Christmas, you know, well, why should we have all this celebration? I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in the birth of Jesus and you're fine with that Protestant, you know, holiday. And so what's wrong with having a month to celebrate, you know, pride. And I think it goes back again to, well, there's a lot of atheists that like decorating a Christmas tree and opening gifts on December 25th. And, you know, America has made, and that is part of American culture to your point earlier is like, it's a America commercialized more than anybody. Yep. Christmas has nothing to do. I had one, this guy that had converted to another religion and he was trying to tell me that, uh, that Christianity was a pagan religion. And he's like, well, what about a Christmas tree? And I said, a Christmas tree has absolutely nothing to do with the Christian faith. What do you mean? What about, he said, well, it's a, it's a pagan symbol. I'm like, okay. But again, it's a cultural ce celebration. It has nothing to do. Yeah, no, there was no Christmas tree in the main, in the barn by the manger. They weren't decorating a tree, Joseph and Mary, whenever Jesus, that, you know, no, that it has nothing to do, but it's a cultural thing that we all celebrate, you know, and, but with pride and these other things i mean you don't so i guess the point is you've seen a lot you've got a lot more evidence that people that have no belief whatsoever in jesus christ can also enjoy the holiday season the christmas season for and make it what they want of it and what it means to them and their family right. when you're talking about a celebrating sexuality and now it's becoming ideology then it's almost like having a political an ideological month, you know, um, could you imagine if we had, you know, conservative pride month or uber liberal pride month, 
or right. anything, you know, or communist month or <laughs> left-handed people month, or, you know, it would just be like, and we would all ask the question, and this is what I, what's weird to me on this deal is why, why, why are we celebrating that? Yeah, but, and, also, it, and also what happened after the month's end? Like yeah. I mean, to, 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 to all the people just doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. Yeah, I, I it's just weird for me that like we have to celebrate all this, all this. I call it the People Month, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even I mean, President Days, I get it. You know, he's a figure, head figure of the country. I get it. And uh, Columbus Day is also a weird one for me. Like, okay, we celebrate that one person, mm -hmm. uh, and then Pride Month, like, and then Black History Month, and Asian. I mean, I'm Asian, and also the the Asian Pacific Month. Like, so what happened? after that like you don't celebrate me and i am i not exist anymore it's different than let's say celebrating chinese new year like yeah mm -hmm. chinese new year because we're celebrating culture malay new year we're celebrating the culture indian um diwali was celebrating the culture so it's 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 like a weird thing to me just having like you know. well to, to your point you're reversing the very idea that was america and look with all its imperfections uh, from the beginning, I get it for those people that are yelling at the radio saying, you haven't experienced racism. You're, you're a straight white male. What do you know? Check your privilege. I get it. I know I can hear you arguing, but the point is there was a culture that all these other cultures came from around the globe yeah. to that was America. And so every day should, should just be like, we're celebrating America where you can come here and you can, you know, be who you want to be. But when you start forcing your individuality above and who, what you think to your point, Jay, as supposed like, oh yes, I live in America, but I'm a really special American, really, really, really special American. And I need to be celebrated. It's yeah. like one of the things that I think is interesting too, when we celebrate you know, we talk about uh, immigrants, you know, everybody will always say we're a nation of immigrants, we're a nation of immigrants. But then when they try to talk about America as uh, as something as nefarious and what it was, well, what they mean is all the European white men, right? So it's like, okay, you say we're a nation of immigrants, which immigrants are you talking about that are okay? Which immigrants do you like and which ones you don't like? Because I thought we were all immigrants. And it's like, you, they want it both ways and which, which really they, we know what they mean. It's, um, but it's like, why can't we just all be Americans and celebrate the fact that it is a multicultural, crazy melting pot of a place. Yeah. There's a great um, documentary on Prime, I think, or HBO about New York. And they talk about this, you know, it's, it explains why Chinatown, Little Italy, uh, the Russian sections, why those exist in New York, but what a, a miracle it was that you had that many cultures converge in one tiny little place and made it work. That's what's been awesome about America. Well, you didn't so, see Jersey Boys, did you? Heck yeah, I did. Of course, loved I mean, it. I don't know. There was some fighting going on between yeah. the neighborhoods. <laughs> but you know what? They dealt with it, right? They dealt with it. Well, I mean, there was someone got killed. Well, yeah. I it's, mean, what happened to Maria's husband? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. One but, question on this. Um, I, I remember, 
I don't remember when it ended, but maybe you guys can fill me in. And Jay, you may not even know this. You probably do. But when I was in elementary school, and I'm pretty sure middle school, we said the Pledge of Allegiance at the beginning of class every day. Oh, yeah. I know that. Like you I know stood that up in the movies. front of class, put your hand on your heart, you looked at the flag that was in every classroom, and you, you recited the Pledge of Allegiance out loud. Did it stop now? Like, Oh, that's gone. That's long gone. Here, I'm older than both of you. I remember at Travis Elementary where we would stand up, we would say the Pledge of Allegiance, and we would have a prayer. So we didn't oh, have a prayer, school. but we did say, and I, Emma and I were just talking about this. She doesn't remember this, but you'd say, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag, and at the end, you'd say, under, you'd say amen at the end of the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm, really? I don't know if that was just my school, if that was an all-around all thing. I don't know. No, we wouldn't say amen. We'd sing my country tis of thee too. I started that like in preschool, singing. After we'd say the Pledge of Allegiance, we'd also sing my country tis of thee. But dude, oh. they don't still do that in schools. I don't think so. Do they not do, I feel like Pledge of Allegiance is such a, like pledge of some kinds, right? You mm -hmm. know what they pledge, they probably pledge of pride flag now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, I feel like those are important, you know, just to build up uh, Peter, uh, Peter, what's, what's the word? The Pretonism or? Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. So I, I volunteered at, at a store in my town and one of the things we do is put the flag out and, in the morning. And I always stand there and do the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm like, well, I don't know. It's just a small oh, act that I can it's, do. It's funny because uh, I think I think the culture has shifted so much. Like if you put a, if you if if you put the flag out, you're Republican, and then all the mm -hmm. Democrats you look at your house and like, ugh, like disgusting. You know, for me, I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. You know, they have flag out. It's cool, but uh, but but it, it's kind of weird. It's kind of interesting for me you know as a, as a foreigner to see that that happen like oh there's a flag out oh it's a republican and then the democrat would be like ugh, you know no, the, where's your ukraine flag oh uh, why don't you by, have a ukraine, by the rainbow flag why don't you have a ukraine pin on your on your shirt there's what's there's, wrong with you yeah <laughs> yeah and that's the thing you know that it's like these that's the thing if, when you start dividing it up it's like Okay, I've got to have a Pride Progress flag, which means you're probably going to have a Ukraine flag and you're not going to have an American flag anywhere. And it shouldn't be that way because the American flag is just as much your flag, you know, yeah. Joe and Betty, uber liberal or leftist as it is mine or somebody in the middle or someone on the right. It's, it's, that's the one that belongs to all of us. Right. And I think... I what don't if, know. What if it's just a conspiracy of the, the those flag makers? Like they make money, right? Okay, now now you gotta have Ukraine flag to <laughs> make more money. Now you have to have this pride flag so I can make more money. You know? Oh, I wouldn't be that shocked. You know? Yeah, I don't think there's not a nefarious uh, capitalist in me that hasn't thought yeah. about making some things that I knew would appeal to people that didn't believe anything yeah. I believe, but it's like, oh, but they would, they'd totally pay for this. There's yeah, markets and everything. Yeah. And that solar eclipse, we had that solar eclipse that went from like Charleston all the way up to Idaho or something. Like if you had eclipse glasses and you went out to any park, you could have sold them for any price you wanted. Right. And also like it's it also it's just like the toilet paper industry trying to stop the bidet from coming into the States, right? So they can yep. keep selling the toilet paper. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, follow the I would say <sighs> a lot of times money. when you're trying to understand why 
following the money is always a great route yeah. to go. And a lot of times you will figure out the answer to your question. Yeah, power and money, like if you can keep people dumb, divided, oh yeah, and give them just enough to make them think that they're virtuous and by, by of that virtue you reward them whether it's with you know, a handout of some kind or just agree letting what they say in public be okay and shun and you shame the other they're the useful idiots that was it lenin that called them the useful idiots you know um that's and it's on both sides by the way they're, they're both sides depend on useful idiots and that's why i think it's more important to go back to what we were talking about educate yourself and understand where you stand and you know politely and with love kind of make your case. Yeah, and understand your job probably is not to convert strangers on the street to believe the same thing as you. Yep. Like Your job is not that. Um, and so maybe don't worry about that so much. Like, yeah, why don't you spend your time? And this is another thing in politics that gets me so frustrated. It's always about these divisive issues. And then every four or eight years or six years, you know, the things flip back. But mm -hmm. I don't like we all could agree that we need to improve education. We all could agree that our roads suck. We all could agree that, you know, on so many issues, I don't get why we can't talk about those and try to find solutions to those. Like, why is it that we fight on these issues that we're never going to make any progress on? And maybe that's the reason we do that. Here's what I see that's happened with, and it goes, and you're exactly right, what you said earlier, it's the money. So, and that, let's take education, for example. The teachers unions are going to say we need more money we need more money even and, and even though in the united states of america we spend more money per capita than any industrialized nation on earth then who's getting it though because teachers are making like 40 to sixty thousand yeah. a year but okay great example great question go to some of these inner city classrooms and if a child has a special need, it is not unusual for them to have three teachers dedicated to one child. The classroom has become more expensive to operate because you have curriculum directors, you have multiple assistant principals, you have the, the individuals who, and I'm not saying any of this is wrong or bad. I'm not arguing against these things that exist. I'm just saying we, the, the, the administrative state of education has swollen exponentially, both at the primary level as well as the university level, so that you have all this money pouring into people that, while their intentions, I would suggest, are good, while they are responses to some research uh, that said that they were needed, but where the rubber meets the road, ergo a child getting the education that they need just isn't happening at scale mm -hmm. and and I, th I do think that teachers unions i think they probably i don't know much about them and what the actual inner workings are other than i know that they're like any other trade association i've been around a lot of them and their primary job is to protect their members and and so therefore you got the teachers that are members of the union that again, probably teachers have been doing it for 40 years and love children and doing everything. And they also love their profession. They're fighting for all the right reasons, but in an organization that big, you're going to also get some people that are just, you know, in it to make sure the organization and the teachers are taken care of and then come the children. And so, and it all comes down to money. I mean, look at Randy Weingarten. I wonder how much her salary is. Y'all look that up. I'm just curious. Who is that? 
She is the head of the National Teachers Association. And, and it's not, I'm not just, I'm not trying to pick on Randy Weingarten. I mean, there's a lot of opinions on both sides of Randy Weingarten. In 2019, um, uh, she made 489,000 with 74,000 other compensation, bringing her total Whoa. haul for the year to $564,000. Half a million a year, wow. And then go, I would look at like, um, uh, Richard Trumpka, who since died, and now his son is the one who made the, uh, he said how much, you know, how we need to start phasing out gas stoves. You look at how much Richard Trumpka was making. I mean, all these. Trumpka's et estimated salary was about three, 286,000. There you go. And I guarantee he never paid for travel. He, I mean, that's a good, that's a, and I, that's a good living. So you, and so there's those people, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying good, bad, whatever. I'm just saying it takes a lot of money to run these organizations because it takes a lot of money to sway politicians, to lobby, and that's what they do. They're 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 lobbyist groups. So anyway, hmm. the, the education one's a big one that I just think is it's sad. These failing schools that have all this money, and and but here's what my real point with that was to say. If you're on one side of the aisle and you say, if you were to raise your hand and go, well, wait a minute, we're spending three times as much money per child than we were 10, 15 years ago, then someone would accuse you of being an uber right wing radical, as opposed to like all three of us in here rationally, we could look and go, okay, this school district, they could probably use more money per child. That that could actually help. Let's talk about that. And that doesn't make me a, a big spending liberal because I'm saying the school needs more money or the school needs to be rebuilt on a local level. That's some of the things that we, in a very small, um, you know, East Texas community, I say you're very small, 100,000 people and conservative. It was really hard for years to get schools rebuilt. And if you suggested such a thing to float a bond to rebuild elementary schools, people would say, what are you, a big spending liberal? No. No, these kids need a better place to be educated. You know, there just needs to be cool heads instead of just one thing you say that if you don't agree with your tribe, you betrayed the tribe or vice versa. We, I, I think we've got to get out of that. I agree. Yeah. And I don't know what the solution is, but there shouldn't be complicated issues. I mean, they're complicated to solve, but it should be easy to agree that our education isn't as good as it could be. Yeah. Everyone should be able to agree with that. Yeah, why, why can't that be the starting point to finding common ground we could all agree to improve? One other random question. I thought like, um, I thought our government employees, I'm specifically meaning our Congress and Senate and, and, and those folks, they represented the individuals in their towns and cities, the areas. Like, uh, how much time are they actually like spending actually in those areas, seeing what people are actually doing or how much time do they spend in Washington? Like, are, are they actually in these towns actually talking to their constituents? I think they are, right? Are they? Yeah. So that's one of the things that having worked in uh, the Senate is that it's a misnomer. Like I remember Greta Van Susteren used to always yell at Congress when they were on recess. Well, when they went on recess, that didn't mean that they just went out and played and they were on vacation. That meant they were back home in the district. And I know that um, those that I've seen up close and worked with, they work tirelessly. And if you're a U.S. Senator, 
Like if you're a senator in the state of Texas where you have 33 million people you represent and you're home when you're there in session, most of them fly home on Thursday afternoon and they fly back to DC on Monday. So most of them are commuting. And by the way, their housing is not paid for. That comes out of their pocket. So if you wonder why most politicians are rich, you gotta be able to afford a place to live in Washington, DC. Most of them live four deep, have roommates. So you've got a bunch of former lawyers and judges that are living with three and two other lawyers. So they, they live pretty lean up there. But during those that time at home during the weekend, a lot of them, I mean, they're booking things in their districts or around their state to get in front of the constituents. And then in recess, there's a whole recess calendar that they they don't lay their head on their own pillow all that often. Now that's, that's the ones I've seen. Um, but, and so, yeah, I'd say that the good ones, James, they do, they get out in front of their constituents and, um, and want to know what's going on. And I can say that for liberals as well as conservatives, um, Edie Bernice uh, Johnson in Dallas. I think she's very in touch with her Dallas constituency that she represents. Um, Ted Cruz is a United States Senator, love him or hate him. He's always out there on the road. Um, you know, I think Henry Cuellar down in the Valley, I think he stays pretty close to his community. He's a Democrat. Um, Nathaniel Moran, who's now my Congressman, Nathaniel knows his community, knows the constituents. Um, so now there's some though, and usually it's the, usually it's the members of leadership, House Speaker, um, Majority Leader, Minority Leader. They somehow, they may have come to DC with not a high net worth, but they have a nice place in DC now and they stay there a lot and they come to the, st to the States to do fundraising for the most part. That's what I've seen. Oh man, that sucks. So they don't really know what's going on in their district. No, they just know what they're, well, of course, if you're in leadership, then you've got to, you're relying so much on polls and what your constituency is your members, you know, right. what they're hearing from their constituents. And so, so really, you, you probably don't want your rep to be in a leadership position. No, because I mean, it's probably really not going to know what's going on. Like, are, like, is Mitch McConnell fighting? Is he Kentucky? Is he fighting for the people of Kentucky or is he fighting for like the agenda for the GOP as a whole? You know what I mean? It's a great question. Back in the day, uh, back in the John Tower days and Harry Reid, even up to that point, being in leadership meant an incredible amount to your personal constituency because you have they have so much power for appropriation. And basically, again, going back to the money, they have so much power over where tax dollars go. And that's why members of leadership usually have bridges, lakes, courthouses, you know, buildings in DC. They're looking after them. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but, but now of course they brought earmarks back, but there for a while, whenever they could not uh, do earmarks, then leadership was more just about getting the votes. And, mm. and you know, it's really to be a, a, a good majority leader. And I would say this about Mitch McConnell or um, uh, Chuck Schumer, the thing that those guys have, on the ball better than anybody else is they understand the rules of the Senate. They know how the process works better than anyone. Uh, Lyndon, B. John Lyndon Baines Johnson, a Texan, Democrat, uh, subject of the book, master of the Senate. The way he became the master of the Senate was he sat at the feet of the parliamentarian, the Senate parliamentarian and learned 
all the rules and he knew how to manage the Senate better than anyone. And that's how he accumulated his power. So it's kind of funny. Most people don't know that. They just think that vote for cloture, filibuster. They know all these top line deals, but they know nothing about the rules. But I guarantee you the members of leadership, they know exactly how the rules work. And so therefore that's that's how they get their power and where it comes in comes very beneficial. Do you think like if you've been in Washington for 30 years, like you're a little bit out of touch now with the Hell yes. no, even if you go back home and you're visiting, you're I mean, you're like a different person, aren't you? Like yeah, I thought the original idea and I'm clueless in all this, but I thought the original idea was people like farmers put yep. down their pitchfork, went up to Washington for a few years, served their country, and then went back to farming. That's exactly the way it was supposed to be. And you're exactly right. And I, when I first started going up to DC a lot, whenever I owned my real estate brokerages and I would go up there and meet with them about real estate industry issues, that's whenever I first realized, okay, now I see why they stay for so long. They are, they have checked out of the real world. I mean, look and think about it. You, what do you mean? You, Hold on. But what do you mean? What, what, what did you see that made you realize they checked out of the real world? Okay. First of all, every time they walk into a room, everybody stands up and claps. Really? Every time they tell a joke, everybody laughs. Oh, um, why? Because go, on, I go, want to hear more of these. I want to hear someone, more. <laughs> sometime if you ever have, if you ever get invited to a meeting, with a your your congressman at the Rotary Club, even when he gets up there or she gets up there, everybody's gonna laugh at the jokes. Everybody's gonna stand up and applaud when they walk in. I did see that the court. So I've just watched all those, as I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, watched all the correspondence dinner. Yeah, and they show the audience, and I'm like, that joke wasn't funny, and they're like, ah, <laughs> got so good. <laughs> and, and okay, and so you you spend even if you live in a dump in Georgetown or. Adams Morgan or Fairfax, Virginia or Arlington, Virginia, look out your office window at what you see. That's not the real, that's beautiful. DC is amazing. Those are, I mean, can you imagine just being a congressman going for a stroll and, you know, doing a little night lit jog about around Lincoln Memorial or Jefferson Memorial? I mean, it's not, that's not the real world. And so, and then all of a sudden you have the lobbyists that, that come to you and they laugh at your jokes and tell you you're wonderful. So yes, it's just, it's like the same reason why celebrities, they don't, they I mean, it's, it's like really, you know, Ted Cruz is always called, um, politics, Hollywood for ugly people, you know? <laughs> and so that's why the, the actors and actresses, no fault. And I don't want to, I'm not saying this, uh, in a derogatory way, but they don't relate to the three of us. They don't live in our world. They live behind gates where they get to look at the way we live. And in their mind, a perfect world would all of us be holding hands. The air is just the way Greta wants it. Nobody has to drive a car. Nobody they probably think I'm like Joe Dirt, you know, like. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dang. Uh, I'm just shooting fireworks off my dock out here. Yeah. So, you know, so I. So yeah, I do think they, it's, it's, there's an old uh, term, it's called Potomac fever. You know, a lot of them, they get there, they stay there long enough, they get Potomac fever and they all of a sudden think that they're, you know. So it's too good. You're saying it, it's too good. I don't know that it's too good or not. I don't know how else you would do it, but I do know things have changed. And, I, and going back to what you asked about when yes, people would, you know, farmers would travel. That's why, did you know, if you're a member of Congress, you cannot be arrested on your way to 
session. So if I were if I were tearing tail down the highway at 100 miles per hour, and I'd say I live in Pennsylvania, headed to DC, you can't stop and arrest me if I'm a member of Congress going to, uh, to headed to session. The reason being is because of what you just said earlier, they put that in place because you have farmers literally hitching their wagons and getting to at first Philadelphia, then to DC to do their work and they could not be detained. It took too long to get there. You couldn't interrupt their travel. It's the same thing happening now. But now what's happened is because it's become so expensive. I mean, James, when I ran for Congress, I had to have $100,000 in the bank in 20 days. And it was going to cost half a million dollars to win the actual race. Wait, why I did mean, you need, wait, so what happened if you didn't get the 100,000 in 20 well, days? First of all, you're not taken seriously. It means, no, it means that you're not a real candidate because you can't raise money. Wow. So let's just, and I don't know when we got to wrap up. I, I canceled my three o'clock. Um, oh, dang. I forgot you had that. But I, uh, I do have a question. Like if I, I'm not connected, you know, I'm, I'm a regular guy. I don't make mm -hmm. a ton of money. Uh, you know, I've worked regular jobs. I don't come from money. Could I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. Could I become a Senator or a, a U.S. Senator or U.S. Congressperson? Is it possible? Hmm. It's is it possible? Yes. Are the chances slim and none? Yes. You can, but you got to figure out how to raise the money. Because here's the thing: if you're going to get, if you're going to win, let's say that you're in a competitive district where there's actually like here, like in certain areas of New York, whoever wins the primary is going to win the general. If you are in Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's district and you're a Democrat and you win the primary, you're, you're probably going to win because it's mostly a Democrat district. So that's not a real expensive race. But if you are in a competitive, let's say it's an open seat, which is what I ran, it's an open seat, the congressman's or congresswoman is retiring, and there's eight candidates, then first of all, that's going to be a very expensive primary. You've got eight people vying for the vote, trying to get TV time, the signs out, grassroots, and you need those big money donors that can make a big impact. And what the, and what moves them is somebody that they believe in, but more importantly, that if they're gonna invest their money in supporting you, that you are actually going to have a chance of winning. And so it's just very, very, it can be done, absolutely. And that's the cool thing about American politics, you know, anyone, it's anybody can do it. But it sucks because money money won't win you an election for sure. There have been many wealthy people lose elections, but it's real hard to be poor and win these days. Unfortunately, I think that's I think it's a shame. It's interesting. It's just, I'm just looking at my um, my district. the The winner had 153,000 votes, and and we had six million in uh, fundraising. Yeah. Are you going to run, James? Yeah. And just do that Do that math to figure out how much one vote. That's what I was curious. Six million divided by 153,000. 40 bucks a person. Pretty pricey. Every politics. a vote. Yeah. Everybody that runs says- They got be more votes than they needed, though. Hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's take a hold on. They got- and also, you, it's not universal. I mean, each district is different. Some are so small, like you get out in way, way out in West Texas, 
where you've got tiny, a tiny little population, you know, running for Congress in a Houston district versus East Texas versus North, you know, um, upstate New York. I mean, it just depends. Did I say it was 40 bucks a vote? Yeah. Well, they, they had this, this is totally off topic, but they had an extra 40,000 votes. So really they raised an extra 1.6 they didn't need. Yeah. Well, but, but you know, that, that extra 1.6 probably went to pay themselves back for how much of their own money they put in the race. And see, that's another thing too, that's different too. Not all candidates do this, but like my race, I put in probably around 70,000 of my own money. Wow. Mm. You got to cough up, I think it's like three grand just to get your name on the ballot. Wow. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Civics 101, um, and from a practical point of view. So there isn't a, a farmer, uh, as you picture, when I picture a farmer, I do not picture the monocrop multimillionaire farmers that right. are all over America. I'm picturing, you know, my friends that use small John Deere tractor and they plow two acres and grow food and sell at the farmer's market and the restaurants, but they ain't running for Congress. No, there's no way. No, you gotta have, and that's the thing too, you know, that's the beautiful thing about Texas is they only meet every other year for 140 days and they make $250 a month if you're a state rep or a state senator. Now you can expense your mileage, but that's it. So you do not make any money. You have to have either great wealth going in or a company you can leave behind. You gotta have some kind of income if you're gonna represent, be a state representative in Texas or a state senator, because you don't make anything. And the beautiful thing is they're not there, but every other year for 140 days unless there's a special session called. So we keep saying, so I think, I think, and we're not the only one, but I think that we are a good model. We keep our politicians out of Austin more than we keep them in and we don't pay them and you don't make a lot of money being there. Only difference is though on those, I will say the downside of that, if you are um, in the state house, there's no can, campaign uh, contribution limits. So somebody can stroke you a check for 50K if they want to, and you can't mm -hmm. do that in, federal interesting well we we had some other things that we were talking about before we recorded but maybe we save those for the next time because i think these tangents we went on were pretty interesting i'm down i'm I down i was surprised by all the tangent not gonna lie i don't know did we cover any of the three things we kind of covered we jay's covered, yeah jay's got jay's was your Jay's was the one we wanted to talk about the least because we were afraid we we're going to piss people off. And it's the one we talked about the most. So, so audience, if you're pissed at us about bringing up pride, we're sorry. We, we just, but you had to ask some of the same questions too, folks, if you're yeah. honest. Yeah. Remember, uh, that was once a great podcaster says this, right? You only publish when you're, when you're afraid to publish. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I agree. The, the ones great podcaster where, you know, it's sort of my boss. Yeah, James. He's Oliver. okay. He's, He's okay. okay. He's all right. <laughs> He's yeah, all if right. you're not afraid to hit publish, then you really didn't do anything. Probably yeah. did you? That's right. That's right. Well, I I think this is fun, guys. I always love picking y'all's brains and talking. So I appreciate you doing this, and we'll we'll pick some. We'll just keep doing this. And again, I don't. I mean, you guys. This is this. I'm. Well, I guess we'll release it on my show. But this is for all, to me, this is like all of our podcasts. Um, so 
I would just say to the audience that you're out there, if you disagree with anything we said, first of all, withhold judgment. We mean it when we say, we're just asking the questions, trying to help us all figure it out and give us some topics you wanna hear more about. And if you did disagree, please let us know so we can bring it up on the next show. We're not gonna castigate you and say, look at what this idiot wrote. No, it'd be like, hey, here's something we didn't think about guys. Here's how this person felt about it. So please bring that, uh, bring yeah, that to our know, attention. What's the best way to to put in the, you know, the question and all that stuff? You know, on Spotify, if you're listening on the mobile app, you can actually uh, put a Q&A. So oh. like, yeah, yeah, your listener can actually post a question in there if they want to on That's a specific cool. episodes. I only like on that. mobile though, only on mobile. Okay, well, cool. There you heard it, folks. If you listen to this on Spotify, start a Q and A. That'd be awesome. What if they're listening on the Apple Podcast? Where? Do, how do they get in touch? Just email Jason. Stupid Apple. <laughs> yeah. Steve Jobs Apple. sucks. Tim Cook now. Tim Cook now. Go to. Um, yeah, just go to jasonrightnow.com and hit the contact page. Or um, if you uh, or if you go to um, uh, texastitans.blog. There you go. That, there you go. And you just hit contact and just load up some questions. We'd love to to hear from you. But be nice. I don't want I don't want Jay to cry for the second time in his life. You know because <laughs> well, only I, watching Lion King though. So. I know that's what I'm saying. He cried during the Lion King, and if he starts crying about this, then you know yeah. it's bad news. I'm going to go watch The Lonesome Dove. Oh, I think I need, I really haven't so watched good. very many Westerns and I need to go watch some. So good, man. So, so very good. And uh, the book is, uh, is good as well. So, all right, guys, we want to wrap it? Yep. Yep. All right, Thank folks. You. Thanks for listening. Being human is difficult, but we're trying to figure it all out and hope you'll keep coming back to figure it out with us. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. It means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And if you enjoyed it, please consider going out to Apple and leaving us a five-star rating. That would mean the world to me. Also, follow me on Insta at Jason right now. And don't forget, download the Vitruvian Lab app. I mean it. I want to be your personal peak performance trainer. I want to help you improve always and always. Lastly, check out my newsletter, The Vitruvian Letter. You can subscribe at jasonrightnow.com. And until we meet again, please continue to endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out. <laughs>